Hello, I'm Greg. Let's have an inappropriate conversation about an audio advent booklet. of November this year, the music cues will not come from Kevin McLeod. The theme music and different drummer intros that I normally use from Incompetech.com. Instead, I'm going to be using music that is relevant to the topics I'm going to discuss, and this week it's the different drummer. More on that in just a second, because I do want to do the different drummer right up front. Instead, I just kind of note that I'm going to do Advent this year, and although Inappropriate Conversations has done Christmas before... It hasn't really been a focus for me to do Advent per se. So we're going to talk a lot about Advent, what that means, um, how it's interpreted on the Christian calendar. And it's interesting to note that one year ago, instead of focusing on the Advent season, which usually begins in very late November, I was talking instead about Thanksgiving. In the first year of Inappropriate Conversations, I talked about Thanksgiving again. It is my favorite holiday. And I probably mentioned that again last year, talking about radical gratitude. But for this year, I'm going to ignore Thanksgiving and focus instead on Christmas. Now, someone who maybe uh, couldn't handle Inappropriate Conversations 150 and the focus of religion there, this is going to be somewhat similar in terms of its approach, although there's going to be great music throughout, and there'll be even more music in the next Inappropriate Conversations show to follow immediately. But I feel I need to do a Christmas, this sort of a Christmas focus, a Christian focus on Christmas. If you wanted a more uh, postmodern look at Christmas as a holiday, there's a show out there, previously recorded, a couple of years ago, in fact, Inappropriate Conversations 109, coming out just before Christmas in 2012, was talking about this concept of, of recognizing Christmas in things secular. So there are previous Inappropriate Conversations looking at Christmas from a perspective that isn't necessarily wholly religious. But today I'm going to look at it really from a truly Christian perspective. Like that last look at Christmas, the different drummer was a musician, and a musician producing what is probably my favorite Christmas album, Christmas from the Players by Manzanera and Mackey, was the focus of the different drummer entry that time. This time, though, the focus is going to be on a musician who probably cannot claim my favorite Christmas song or my favorite Christmas album, but is certainly probably my favorite Christmas musician from an entire body of work. He was the intro clip to the episode, and I'm also going to use his music on The Different Drummer. So we're going to segue from On Doing an Evil Deed Blues, which was the John Fahey clip I played right away, to In Christ There Is No East or West, and our Different Drummer segment. As with most different drummer entries where a musician's involved, it only seems appropriate that I take a look at it from the perspective of my MP3 player. From John Fahey, I have 125 songs from 21 albums, and this really isn't half of his album output. He, in fact, has some albums that would probably be impossible to obtain at this stage because he is a, an artist who has toiled more or less in certain degrees of obscurity throughout his career. Also, the 125 is a little generous. I'm looking at this in the month of November, meaning there's probably 20 or even 30 different Christmas songs on here, which might not make it all the way through when I get to the post-Christmas process of looking at my songs and weeding things out. He's got the benefit of the holidays, I guess is the way I would put it going forward. And from the perspective of the benefit of the holidays, so far I've played John Fahey tracks from his uh, secular recordings. I realize it may not make sense to talk about In Christ There Is No East or West as being a secular recording, but it came from his album The Legend of Blind Joe Death. So we're looking at you know an album that wasn't intended, well certainly not as a Christmas album. But throughout the episode, as I deal with 
you know, elements and clips of, of like an Advent booklet, different takes on Advent as a season. I'm going to use interludes from John Fahey. So there'll be more John Fahey music here in the episode, including the outro, which will be my favorite John Fahey song probably of all time, Steamboat, Queen Round the Bend. But before we get there, we're going to hit a fair amount of Christmas music. And most of it comes from probably three recordings. Joy to the World, Christmas Album, and the Rounder released Christmas Guitar Volume 1. There'll also be at least one track from Yes, Jesus Loves Me, which, not a Christmas album, but nevertheless, you know, part and parcel of the theme. Before I even get into the different drummer biography, let me just rattle off the songs that we're going to hear in between talks about Advent, in the order that I plan to use them. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, Yes, Jesus Loves Me, Of the Father's Love Begotten, O Come, All Ye Faithful, The Little Drummer Boy, Good Christian Men Rejoice, Rejoice, Joy to the World, We Three Kings, Hark, The Herald Angels Sing, Angels from the Realms of Glory, The First Noel, and O Holy Night, before we leave this episode today with Steamboat Queen Round the Bend. That is what's coming our way from the perspective of John Fahey, and although most of those tracks are so familiar that they probably didn't need to be introduced, you probably wouldn't need to know Joy to the World when you hear it, but Fahey's style is so interesting, so unique, and at the time so innovative, that you might not recognize the hymn though it may be popular, at least not immediately from first listen. Here's some of the biographical material that you'll find online about Fahey, quoting right from the beginning of the Wikipedia entry. Fahey was an American fingerstyle guitarist and composer who played the steel string acoustic guitar as a solo instrument. His style has been greatly influential and has been described as American primitive guitar, a term which Fahey accepted as, it's as close as anything. This has often been confused with American primitivism, including here at Wikipedia, which is a term borrowed from painting and quite different from American primitive guitar. Fahey borrowed from folk and blues traditions and American roots music, having compiled many forgotten early recordings in the genres. He would later incorporate classical, Portuguese, Brazilian, and Indian music to his oeuvre. He spent many of his later years in poverty and poor health, but enjoyed a minor career resurgence with a turn towards more explicitly avant-garde, and created a series of abstract paintings during the last years of his life. He died in 2001 from complications from heart surgery. In 2003, he was ranked 35th in Rolling Stones magazine's 100th Greatest Guitarists of All Time list. So that's the opinion of Wikipedia. And noteworthy that once again we've got a different drummer who perhaps isn't just a musician, in this case both a musician and a painting, and it was from a listing in Spin Magazine, kind of a Spin Magazine trouser press record guide kind of view, that Fahey realized that from a career perspective, he could take a turn and find an audience, because even his early Americana recordings had become, well, trendy in the eyes of those who might, well, might be viewed as somewhat hipster. I would count myself among those people. I am the kind of person who would look at the music of John Fahey as being perhaps better or more enjoyable than it truly is because I feel like I'm part of a small group. It may be true at times that I undervalue the music of the Rolling Stones and the Beatles because they seem to be so overvalued in popular culture. They're popular. They don't need any help. They're not in any way forgotten. Fahey, on the other hand, probably well and truly forgotten. I guess the interesting thing is Fahey may be the last of the different drummers that I'm going to name in this entire show series that was pegged from the very beginning to be used early on and got bumped. I bumped him from the very first year around Christmas time because I didn't actually get to what I wanted to do for Christmas. And then a couple of years later in 2012, I was ready to do a Christmas episode, focused on it, had Fahey penciled in, but then I heard that there was about to be a documentary released. And I felt like I wanted to watch the documentary first. And since I feel pretty strongly about both the Christmas album that I mentioned a couple of years ago and the Christmas albums, plural, of Fahey, I thought I would wait and watch the documentary. I'm glad I did, but it does mean that he's been held over for multiple years. Here's the movie trailer in support of the documentary called In Search of Blind Joe Death, The Saga of John Fahey, a film that I must admit I found informative, heartbreaking, and uplifting in almost equal measure.
I think of myself as a classical guitar player, but I'm categorized as a folk musician. <clears throat> got a real John Fahey mystique, whereas behind that mystique there was a real human being. The way he treated the guitar as though the guitar was an orchestra almost. It's been said of John Fahey that his style is uh, American primitive. And what would you call your style? You well, that's the closest it thing. I, you know, I wouldn't worry about calling it anything. Okay. <laughs> He seemed to me the kind of folk guitar playing equivalent to sort of William Burroughs or, or, or Bukowski, Charles Bukowski. The guy was like truly punk rock and, or, or whatever you want to call it, his own artist. And I think that's really the core of it. It's just art for art's sake on so many levels. You know, he had a real edge to him. I think that's why I liked him. I also have a deference toward the All Media Guide, and at allmusic.com, the artist's biography for Fahey was written by Richie Unterberger. He says this, at least in his intro, one of acoustic music's true innovators and eccentrics. John Fahey was a crucial figure in expanding the boundaries of the acoustic guitar over the last few decades. His music was so eclectic that it's arguable whether he should be defined as a folk artist. In a career that saw him issue several dozen albums, he drew from blues, Native American music, Indian ragas, experimental dissonance, and pop. His good friend Dr. Demento has noted that Fahey, quote, was the first to demonstrate that the finger-picking techniques of traditional country and blues steel string guitar could be used to express a world of non-traditional musical ideas. Harmonies and melodies you'd associate with Bartok, Charles Ives, or maybe the music of India. End quote. The more meditative aspects of his work foreshadowed New Age music, yet Fahey played with a fierce imagination and versatility that outshone any of the guitarists in that category. His idiosyncrasy may have limited him to a cult following, but it also ensures that his work continues to sound fresh. There is no Christmas for me that is complete without the Christmas music of John Fahey. It is not the first stuff I heard from him, so I don't have a deference toward his Christmas music because, well, I'm a sucker for the first time I fell in love. I love at first listen. No, I'm going to play that song at the end, Steamboat Going Round the Bend, with a real slide steel guitar sound and one that I still think I find as profoundly moving from an instrumental track as almost any other I could name. But when I, when I realized that he had also done holiday music, and done holiday music in that same style, well, Fahey brings something to my Christmas playlist that nobody else could come anywhere near providing. And as they say in the realm of perhaps painting or photography, a picture is worth a thousand words. I'm going to guess that I could continue to describe how I feel, about the deep-seated, round-the-campfire sense you get from listening to Fahey at, at Christmas time, But maybe a listen is worth a thousand descriptions. And so for the rest of the show, in between things I've written for the season of Advent over many years, we'll also listen to the music I've loved during that same time over many years. John Fahey, and in particular, John Fahey for Christmas. between the two of us. Well, that is true. <laughs> I'm Jen. And I'm Angela. And we're the socially functional co-hosts of Anomaly, the podcast with a unique perspective, a female perspective on all things geek. 
Star Trek, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Buffy, Firefly, gaming, books, costuming, and general geek topics. The sometimes monthly, but always entertaining Anomaly Podcast. Anomalypodcast.com. So what am I going to do the rest of the way here? Perhaps I better offer a little bit of explanation right up front, especially because the first entry of the 12 I want to include probably feels like an intro too, so I feel like I need to introduce the introduction in a way. In Protestant Christian circles, especially in relatively small Protestant Christian churches, at least the ones I've attended, it's not unusual for Seasons like Lent, which is the period leading up to Easter, or Advent, which is the period leading up to Christmas, to include the creation of a devotional booklet. Now, in some cases, the major publishing houses, like Zondervan, for example, or Cokesbury, will produce their own booklet, and a church with a budget that can support it could go out and just buy enough of those books for the congregation to give them away. So people who are doing a weekly or a daily set of of meditations and devotionals leading up to Christmas, have some something to read, something to focus upon. But in the last 15 or 20 years, the churches that I've attended, going back to uh, two or three different churches across multiple cities, have done their own booklet. So you reach out to those people who are comfortable writing and who have, by nature, diverse opinions, because it's a very diverse set of people, all perhaps Protestant Christian or maybe even of the same denomination, but coming to life with different experiences and different views. Having every member of the congregation uh, get the opportunity, if they so choose, to contribute entries to an Advent booklet means that you're not just reading devotionals and praying and meditating on the way to a major event on the Christian calendar like Christmas, but you're also sharing with one another because the words you are reading, at least some of them, come from other people in the church that you may know. So I've done this on a few occasions, going back as far as a decade. So some of these are a decade old, some of them a little bit more recent, but none of them so recent that that I've written them here in the last couple of years. While I've been doing the Walk the Earth podcast, I haven't been doing any Advent devotional booklet writing or Lenten devotional booklet writing, for that matter. A lot of the things that I might have shared on those topics have actually been shared either here on Inappropriate Conversations or on the Walk the Earth podcast, which started a bit more than a year and a half ago. Both of those podcasts, by the way, can be found at inappropriateconversations.org. They are fed to the same RSS feed. You also can hear both shows on Stitcher Smart Radio, a very smart and handy way to listen to radio on the go. I do Stitcher from my smartphone, and I do podcasts from my Zoom, so that's kind of the balance that I use with Stitcher. I also intend to restart, now that the political elections are over, posting things to SoundCloud and continuing to walk through the oldest episodes of Inappropriate Conversations by posting clips of those past shows to give people both an audio uh, way of kind of gleaning what the episode might have been about all those years ago, along with whatever they might be able to read on the website, because I do post a blurb for each episode. While I'm sort of dealing with this introductory material, I'll quickly say that you can reach Inappropriate Conversations via email. I'm IC underscore Greg at Hotmail.com. I'm also on Twitter, there as at IC underscore Greg. SoundCloud, which I mentioned a minute ago, I'm IC underscore Greg. And there is a Facebook page for both Walk the Earth and Inappropriate Conversations. So as I shift gears here for a moment... I want to kind of set the stage for the very first of these. There's going to be a dozen in all. So if you wanted to walk through the four weeks of Advent, Advent is the four Sundays prior to Christmas. So if you find Christmas back up to the Sunday before it and count from there the four back, it almost always falls after Thanksgiving and right before Christmas, the four Sundays of Advent. And I'm not going to go into the theology of any one of those weeks. I think it varies somewhat from one denomination to another anyway. But what I am going to do is to kind of walk through them as a series of 12, so that if you chose to treat this like it was an audio uh, booklet, an Advent booklet in spoken word form, you could actually follow through over the next month. This week will be this Advent booklet approach, and next week will be a holiday jukebox, I think is probably what I'm going to call it. And it'll take you from December 1st through December 24th or 25th with with a song a day approach. So I'm expecting that episode to be very long because I do intend to include the entire songs. 
But you could listen to two-plus hours of Christmas music anytime you felt like, or you could actually follow that podcast through in a song-a-day approach. So let me take a quick break, and when I'm back, we'll do the Welcome to the First Sunday of Advent. Hi there, this is Rick Moyer, the host of the Take Him With You weekly podcast. My wife Amy and I talk every week about all sorts of cool geeky things going on around our house. Plus, we have some uh, positive words of encouragement and then a subject every week that is sure to uh, make you think a little bit and hopefully encourage you for the week to come. That's our goal. Visit us at TakeHimWithYou.com. You can also find us on iTunes. Just search for Take Him With You. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Thanks. What is Advent? Advent is preparation. I want to talk more about that in a little bit. It's also a beginning, but not just a beginning. We hear the word Advent like the advent of a new era, but it's also Advent like the beginning of an adventure. We would wonder about someone who placed the tokens on the go block of a Monopoly board and declared in a big voice, The advent of this game is coming! No, Advent is about something big, not a game. Something that's going to change everything. As Todd Snyder sang in one of his songs, the song Somebody's Coming. Somebody's coming who's going to change everything. The author, John Eldridge, a former different drummer, and in fact a different drummer with whom I've taken very direct issue. I've taken him to task before. I want to be honest when a different drummer has disappointed me, but I also don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. He describes it like a James Bond movie. I'm not that big of a fan of James Bond, so forgive me if I'm off a little here. But Eldridge describes the story this way. A great king, the good guy, the good guy, is having trouble in a remote part of his realm where evil forces are literally running and ruining everything. He sends in a super spy, the greatest ever, on a secret mission to make all things new. The spy comes disguised as an infant. The beginning is all about improbability. Advent is all about improbability. Will the faithful remnant help out? Will they take him in, foil assassination plots, and obtain crucial resources like shelter, food, even gold? Well, let's find out over the next few weeks and worship together as I welcome you to the first Sunday in Advent. What would you have done if you had foreseen the advent of the personal home computer. Go back a few decades to a time when the concept of home PC would have made no sense to any of us, probably. What would you have done to prepare for that, if you knew it was coming? Well, we might upgrade our home electrical system, add a phone line to the home office, get a surge protector, <laughs> figure out what a surge protector even was, really. But a home PC doesn't change everything. It was a huge development, and I experienced the impact of it every single day. But it didn't change everything, everything. How much more would you prepare for the one who did change everything, who does change everything? Let me take a quick moment here to pray. And I'm going to pray as if I had just made notes of a series of prayer requests that might be raised on a typical Protestant Sunday service where people are given the opportunity to directly ask for prayer. Lord, prepare us. That's what Advent's about. Prepare us to care for the sick and the needy, to lift them up. Lord, prepare us to celebrate joys to honor you, remembering the fount of every blessing. Lord, prepare us to offer our concerns to you, knowing that you have a plan. Eldridge wrote this book called Epic. It's a little book, by the way, very easy to read. In it, he suggests that all stories about heroes saving the day are built on the example of Christ himself. I realize that's controversial, but I would say as a Christian, a Christian who believes in the verticality of time, who believes that on some level time doesn't exist, that even the stories written thousands of years before the time of Christ were also stories written about Christ himself. That's a different topic for a different day, and perhaps the episode called The Verticality of Time is a good place to look for the concept I'm raising. Think about that for a moment, though. Accounts of self-sacrifice, 
accounts of a benevolent leader reaching out to the helpless. Advent is about a small part of a larger image of everything it means to be a hero. Just because we know how it ends already, let's not forget the adventure in Advent, God's faith in us, the courage of Mary and Joseph, the homicidal treachery of Herod, and the ultimate gift of love. If and as you were led, please join me in prayer. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Save us. May these be more than just words and melody. Lord, help us to appreciate fully our need for you and what our condition would be without you. Only then will we fully understand what it means to rejoice. Amen. Booklet entry number two, God is with us, starts with a scripture quote from Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 to 23. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us is what the Gospels are all about. With the birth of Jesus, God literally came to us. For only a few years, Jesus preached and interacted directly with mankind. Then he was crucified as a sacrifice for our sins. At this time of year, I often think of what a blessing it was for select shepherds and visitors from the East to have seen Jesus as a newborn and know he was God with us. They took advantage of the opportunity to welcome him into our world. I heard a sermon once on the topic of the undeserved gift of salvation, how none of us would have any business entering heaven outside of the grace and sacrifice of Jesus. Too many sins, too little holiness. The preacher described being saved in this way. He said, It would feel like appearing at the entrance of a country club, penniless and dressed in rags, or showing up for classes at a university without the ability to read. At the moment of turning to leave, or perhaps after being told you don't belong and aren't welcome here, the voice of Jesus rises up and says, He's with me. I want him to stay. Jesus whom the prophet Isaiah described as God with us, has come into our lives and hearts to deliver the complimentary message, they are with me. Keep that in mind this holiday season, when we hear the term Emmanuel and what it meant both in the past and for eternity. Advent Booklet 3 is God's Outreach to Us. A friend of mine recently made the claim that I hadn't heard before. He said that all missionary work is ultimately local. Inherently, a mission ends up being face-to-face. This may give you a sense of how old some of these booklet entries are, as that concept was covered in Inappropriate Conversations number 94, The Missionary Position is Local, With Shane Claiborne as our different drummer, this particular Advent booklet entry is older than that because I'm referring to it as a thought I never had before, so this kind of goes back to the time when I first had heard that idea and embraced that idea, that the missionary work, that missionary work is always ultimately local. Back to the booklet entry. When we donate to a non-profit organization, 
we do so with an expectation that someone down the line will deliver directly to the person in need. While we often cannot be there in person ourselves, it is our hope and prayer that someone will make a personal delivery. Preparing for Christmas is in part acknowledging the greatest gift ever personally delivered to us. God had established laws, provided for leaders, and sent his message through the prophets. Ultimately, though, he had to make a personal visit, one that continues through each upcoming day. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, says the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. Let us thank God this Advent season for the missionary work he is doing in our lives. Booklet Entry 4, called Ready to Believe, begins with that question, as told through Scripture, Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 20, the story of the father of John the Baptist. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many people will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you would not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. So as the rest of the story goes, Zechariah was unable to speak until the birth of his son, and actually was able to speak at the moment when he followed the commands of the angel and insisted that the son be named John. And people were convinced that something very special was going to happen at the birth because of how strange and how spiritual, for want of a better word, it was that Zechariah was struck silent. On the night of Jesus' birth, a star shined gloriously above the heads of all. For each of the Magi following from afar, there were several thousand who didn't notice at all. How many of them? even if they were told all that was going to happen, would have believed. God reveals himself to us every day in so many ways. We see his work, even in a single falling snowflake or the colorful tapestry of autumn leaves. Yet so many of us say, show me a sign. The Holy Spirit stirs our hearts to action in ways that seem so obvious in retrospect. Like the old cliche about a horse led to water, though, we too often fail to drink. We allow the necessary business of life to devolve into mere busyness instead. In a world full of cell phones, voicemail, electronic mailboxes, and answering machines, we sometimes find it impossible to get away from our responsibilities. Perhaps we should answer a question that John the Baptist's father should have considered. Are we ready to believe? King Herod's advisors were not ready to believe. They knew the prophecies, but didn't think twice about a star above Bethlehem. Shepherds on the outskirts of that town, on the other hand, responded. They temporarily left their work behind and sought the Lord. They didn't have electronic devices and recording equipment to tend their sheep. Still, they were ready to believe. What about us? As the resurrected Christ said to Thomas, "'Because you have seen me, have you believed?' Blessed are those who do not see and yet believed. John chapter 20, verse 29. 
if and as you are led. Please join me in prayer. Almighty God, you reveal your majesty to us in so many ways. We often find it hard to comprehend. Grant us your strength and bolster our faith as we live in a world that seems so determined to explain everything away. We are urged to dismiss the lights in the evening sky as just stars. Each new generation is brought into the world through a process that is somehow just childbirth. And the rest of your creation is marginalized in a way, similar way, as just nature. Forgive us, Lord, as we struggle with these temptations to make the works of your mighty hand small enough for us to handle, manageable. When the angel told Zechariah to name his future son John, he should have simply said, Yes, Lord, I will. Help us to find similar opportunities in our lives to acknowledge you in the same way. Yes, Lord, I will. Work in our hearts and our lives so that we may be prepared for you this Advent season, ready to believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. called Advent Booklet number 5's entry, It's Not About You, and this one dates me a bit. It was written probably during the time the Lord of the Rings movies were in theaters, one of the three. I'd recently reread The Hobbit, and my kids were of an age where, well, let's see what it says. I recently revisited a novel by J.R.R. Tolkien that said something very interesting about Providence. A naive character questioned whether an ancient prophecy had been fulfilled because he didn't expect to play a role in history. An older, wiser character replied, Surely you don't disbelieve the prophecies because you had a hand in bringing them about yourself. You don't really suppose, do you, that all your adventures and escapes were managed by mere luck, just for your sole benefit. You are a very fine person, but you are only quite a little fellow in a wide world after all. I wonder if most of the people in the town of Bethlehem would have felt the same way. Surely they may have thought, the Messiah could not, to come, could not come while I'm here. Bethlehem? Of course, as the prophet said, but not my Bethlehem. And what about the shepherds? Clearly they knew what the angels had just told them. Did they fully understand that they were playing a role in the pivotal moment for all history, though? We see the story more clearly today, but only through hindsight. In truth, we probably aren't any better. Sometimes we are so focused on ourselves that we think the world revolves around us. Just as often, I'd say we are quick to deny that our world has any significance outside ourselves. In both cases, it is easy to miss the way, the way that God is working in our lives. As a parent, I find myself repeating a sentence to my children more often than they would like. It's not about you. This comes up on occasion when we are dining with friends or talking on the phone to relatives the first time I can recall using that phrase was at church. When my younger child was being baptized, our oldest was less than three years old. She didn't like the attention the infant was receiving, and she wasn't prepared to be gracious about it. I remember taking her aside and telling her about her own baptism, and that no one tried to disrupt the event. I also told her that she had a role to play, however small, when the entire congregation pledged to support the new child's growth from a dependence upon us to a personal dependence on God. The bottom line in all that talk, surely in words she couldn't fully understand, in spite of being articulate for her age, was, it's not about you today, it's about the baby. I recently, back then anyway, recently went on a retreat with a group of Christian men. While taking advantage of moments to pray in solitude, I received an ironic answer. For all of the I want and I wish longings I was expressing, the response I received was clear and familiar. It's not about you. I was told that my focus should not be on this one child of God, me, at this time. Instead, it was about an infant born 2,000 years ago and still living today, acting in the world through all of us who bend a knee and accept his gift of grace. As we prepare for Christmas this year, 
we should remember that Christmas itself is preparing us for something else. Christ comes into our lives with purpose. The story doesn't stop in Bethlehem, and it certainly doesn't stop at Calvary. If and as you are led, please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we acknowledge that we are just small creatures, your creation in a great wide world. Whether we know it or not, we are acting on a mission. We cannot succeed without you. In fact, we cannot even grasp our role without you. Help us to learn your will through prayer and scripture and act on the inspiration and direction you provide. By placing our lives in your hands, may we fulfill your purpose in the adventures we live and so often take for granted. In Jesus' name we pray, for our faith lies in him. It is always, ultimately, about him. Amen. mathematically, booklet entry 6 is going to take us to the point where we're halfway there. It's called Christ Comes to Make Us New. Beginning with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, in the King James Version of English. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as also I am known. There's an old adage in retail stores that says it takes $1,600 to make up for each $1 of shoplifting. From the perspective of lost profit, I suppose. Does this make sense? I'd say that the only way to make up for a stolen dollar is to get the dollar back. Using a portion of other sales only takes away from their potential. Our notion of atonement is limited in a similar way. So is our notion of healing. For, for example, a good copy editor can make a story right, but not correct. He can control the grammar and punctuation, and even change words and sentences to make the meaning more clear. But if the reporter took inaccurate notes, having the right style isn't worth much. That story is not going to be correct. These are the differences between our limited understanding and God's. We say that doctors heal people, quote-unquote, because they help make broken bones grow effectively back together. But Jesus healed people by making their bones no longer broken. When we do something wrong, we try to make it up to people in a way that's similar to increasing the sales to overcome the loss caused by a theft. Jesus, on the other hand, didn't overcome sin by matching good deeds for bad. Instead, he took the burden of our sins upon himself as a sacrifice. What do we celebrate at Christmas time? Do we gather together to praise a Savior who patches us up as if we needed a fresh coating of paint? Or do we praise a Savior who makes us new? So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. A portion of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 16.
Advent Bulletin number seven. What does a Christian nation look like? Inappropriate Conversations as a show is always going to have a mix of politics and religion. It's the mission statement for the show. But believe me when I tell you that this was submitted as part of an Advent booklet for the church that we used to go to, and many of these same words have been shared from the pulpit by me as a lay speaker on more than one occasion. This time, the occasion was Christmas. What does a Christian nation look like at Christmas time? There are some who say that you can tell a Christian nation because the halls of government are decorated with holly and ivy. A nativity scene is in front of the courthouse, and state-sponsored Christmas tree is on the town square. What does a Christian nation sound like at Christmas time? Do we threaten to file lawsuits, get our day in court, if some people suggest that the decoration should be displayed on private property instead? Perhaps we bristle at the notion that a shopping mall might try to profit off God's greatest gift if angels and the newborn king decorate the sidewalk in front of the retail stores. What does a Christian nation feel like at Christmas time? I would say that our hearts should be open to others in a genuine way, patient and kind, and willing to see our neighbors through Christ's eyes. Too often we assume the worst motives in others and try to force everyone to participate in our own narrow view of the right way to honor our Lord. I have a suggestion in answer to the question, what does a Christian nation look like? If every Christian decorated her or his own home or front yard with a nativity scene, would anyone in town doubt that it was time to celebrate the Incarnation? It's not that I'm opposed to Main Street celebrations of Christmas, but heaven help us if City Hall has all the angels, all the shepherds, all the wise men. Advent booklet number eight, God's will be done, starts with a fairly long scripture verse, Matthew chapter two, verse seven through 15, long I'd say, but probably familiar. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country from another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up! He said, Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Matthew chapter 2 The survival of the baby Jesus was a miracle. When we consider the nativity, our consideration of miracles usually centers around his birth. His survival, though, relied heavily upon divine intervention. Angels spoke on more than one occasion to Mary and Joseph, giving them independent instructions to follow. After the wise men left, an angel directed Joseph to take Jesus out of Bethlehem days before Herod's soldiers came and killed every male infant in the city. In fact, we're told, every male child less than two years old. Sometimes we may lose sight of the plan God has for our lives and his sovereign control over our lives. At those times, the beginning of Matthew's gospel is very assuring. Joseph was going to marry Mary in spite of her pregnancy. The couple would travel together to Bethlehem where the child would be born. 
They were going to flee to Egypt so Jesus would survive Herod, Herod's attempts to negate the words of the prophets. God's will was done through the faithful obedience of a young couple who had just become parents and the help of strangers from the East. Advent Booklet, Entry 9, And the Angels Sang, Luke chapter 2, verses 8-14. through 14. And there were there in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Luke's Gospel Many people truly sing aloud only one time a year. Christmas. Whether the song is seasonal, like Jingle Bells, or religious, it's not hard to get a group of people to join together in song. When I was in college, a couple of fundraisers were held involving a group of students delivering the gift of song from secret admirers. The project was only modestly successful at Valentine's Day, but the number of volunteers at Christmas was more than double for Christmas time. The angels in Luke 2, verses 13 and 14, set an example that people have been following ever since. Hosanna is a natural response to the gift represented by the birth of Jesus. May your silent night this year, like those before, be filled with song. Advent Booklet 10, What the Angels Said. So we've looked at song, now let's look at some words. Before Jesus' ministry, what the angels said was the closest we could get to the words of our Heavenly Father. And here is what the angels said. Don't be afraid. I am here with you with good news for you, which will bring great joy to all people. God has heard your prayer. I stand in the presence of God who sent me to speak to you and tell you the good news. God has been gracious to you. Jesus will save his people from their sins. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will make him a king, as his ancestor David was, and he will be king of the descendants of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. There is nothing that God cannot do. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom he is pleased. Amen. The references here, all angel quotations, things the angels are said to have said, from Luke 2, verse 10, 1, verse 13, 1, verse 19, 1, verse 30, Matthew, chapter 1, verse 21, and again Luke, chapter 1, verses 32, 33, 37, and Luke, chapter 2, verse 14. These are the things the angels said. Advent booklet number 11, Advent in Scripture. Since I've 
started dropping scripture verses there at the end of that one, directly kind of quoting what the angels are, again, said to have said. Let me deal with the Advent verses, but instead of reading from the scripture to you, I'll merely make the notation and then share instead my annotation, because I think most people would agree that over the last couple of months, I've shared plenty of scripture, that uh, IC underscore Greg doesn't necessarily need to read a whole bunch more verses to persuade people of my high view of scripture. Here's the Advent and Scripture booklet entry. Last year, between the early and late Christmas Eve services, my family gathered to rest in front of the TV. The power went out, and remained out until just before 11 p.m. It turned into a wonderful blessing for me. Rather than watching It's a Wonderful Life, or A Christmas Story, or something else, which I still enjoy, we spent Christmas Eve with the Bible and a flashlight, literally reading the Christmas story as the kids fell asleep. For me, these are the scriptures which truly represent Advent. They don't all come from the place you might expect. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. My Aunt Henry May had a chronological Bible, which puts the passages in the order of what you might call historical occurrence. The beginning is not Genesis. The beginning is not the birth of Christ, as told in Matthew, Luke, or even the prophets. It starts in John's Gospel with the creation of the world. Isaiah chapter 9, 1 through 7. Much of the beauty that pulses through Handel's The Messiah comes through this choice of scripture. Handel had, you might say, an excellent lyricist. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. The genealogy of Jesus is not easy to read, particularly in contrast to the poetry of Isaiah. One of the things many people forget, though, is that Jesus was both God and man. Matthew places Jesus in history for us, with parents, grandparents, etc. He reminds us that our Lord was also human. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Not only does the prophet introduce us to the role of John the Baptist and what he would do in the story, this passage also answers a question. What's this good news all about? Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Since Mark's gospel begins with Jesus as an adult, it would be easy to think that Mark contributes nothing to the story of Advent. Like Isaiah, though, Mark makes an emphatic statement about the good news as his introduction. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 38. Luke introduces Mary, Elizabeth, and Zechariah. I particularly like the verses about the naming of John. It's a simple passage, but Zechariah's experience says so much about faith and evangelism. His disbelief got him into trouble, and only his willingness to speak God's message bailed him out. Isaiah 7, verses 10 through 14. Matthew refers to this prophecy when the angel speaks to Joseph. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 24. Joseph's experience begins with a short passage that leaves volumes unspoken, about the faith and commitment of Mary's husband. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 79. Both Mary and Zechariah speak at length, individually sharing both emotions and prophecy prior to the birth of Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. Like Mark, John's gospel has limited verses dealing directly with Advent. John jumps from the beginning of time, say prehistory, to an introduction of John the Baptist that distinguishes John from Jesus. Micah, chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Matthew refers to this prophecy when he describes Herod's sudden interest in Bethlehem. Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 38. Most people probably consider Luke 2 when first thinking about Advent. It is even more moving for me, though, when placed in the larger context. Matthew, chapter 2. Verses 1 through 23. Matthew adds the story of the three wise men. After introducing Joseph earlier, this passage also has a somewhat more masculine point of view. The king threatens the newborn Christ, and his father listens to the angel and acts to protect his son. John 1, verses 10 through 18. After making the distinctions between John the Baptist and Jesus, John uses the rest of his gospel's opening passage to focus on the deity of Jesus. And finally, Revelations 3, verse 20. Just as the good news is covered in the Old Testament, it also spreads throughout the New Testament. 
The story begins with Jesus coming into a world that only exists due to him. And even in the final book, Jesus is continuing to call on us to abide with him in the sense that abide means make yourself at home. Advent is a time to remember the manner in which God came over to our place. We should hold close to our heart the fact that Jesus promised to bring us home to his place, too. The good news is just that simple. He is saving a place for those who answer his call. Merry Christmas from Greg and his family. I can't say that I'm going to call Advent Booklet Entry 12 Who Started Christmas, because this one, unlike the previous 11, is not mine. I don't know the authorship. It probably came to me through one of those anonymous emails that you get throughout the year, and this one focused on Christmas. So I can't cite the author, but it did seem like an interesting way to end an Advent audio booklet, and, uh, and a way to end it this year as well. Who Started Christmas? A story was told on the radio of a woman who was out Christmas shopping with her two children. After many hours of looking at row after row of toys and everything else imaginable, and after hours of hearing both her children asking for everything they saw on those many shelves, she finally made it to the elevator with her two kids. She was feeling what so many of us feel during the holiday season and this time of year, overwhelming pressure to go to every party, every housewarming, taste all the holiday food and treats, get that perfect gift for every single person on our shopping list, make sure that we don't forget anyone on our card list, and the pressure of making sure we respond to everyone who sent us a card. Finally, the elevator doors opened, and there was already a crowd in the car. She pushed her way into the car and dragged her two kids in with her and all the bags of stuff. When the door closed... She couldn't take it anymore and stated, Whoever started this whole Christmas thing should be found, strung up, and shot. From the back of the car, everyone heard a quiet, calm voice respond, Don't worry, we already crucified him. For the rest of the trip down the elevator, it was so quiet you could have heard a pin drop. Don't forget this year to keep the one who started this whole Christmas thing in your every thought, deed, purchase, and word. If we all did it, just think of how different the whole world would be. The reason for the season. This has been an Advent audio booklet. And next week, as I mentioned before, the uh, focus will still be Advent, still be Christmas, and a holiday jukebox filled with some of my favorite and some, in fact, quite rare holiday songs. Thanks for listening. And over the course of the Advent season, happy holidays.
Oh, there it is. Thank you. Yeah.